0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's Believe in Tiger Woods on the Believe Podcast Network. And now, here's your host, Cam Rogers. It's lit. My own worst enemy. 1999, ladies and gentlemen, one of the great one-hit wonders, and I am still lit after that Tiger Woods Masters victory. (laughs) Welcome into the Tiger Woods Podcast. I am Cam Rogers. This is the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one podcast destination. This is a pro-19 majors podcast, folks, and this is the only program completely dedicated to the GOAT of the PGA Tour. And let me tell you, I am still on cloud nine. I am still absolutely elated that Tiger Woods now has 15 majors on his resume. I literally pause sometimes during the day and ponder that fact. Because my brain cells have yet to fully encode that information. I have fully yet to digest what just transpired. The fact that Tiger Woods captured a Masters in the post-back surgery era, the post-sex scandal era. He did it, he got it done. I really don't know what year it is, I'll be honest with you. Now, before I get into the reactions across the golfing world and my interview with Brooke Cromer coming up later, who is the host of Believe in Replay here on this very network, she's the daughter of Aaron Cromer, offensive line coach and run game coordinator for the Rams. I'm going to play for you guys that majestic clip from Sunday evening. Jim Nance, take it away, my friend.
1: But here it is, the return to glory.
0: I no longer need to drink C4 before I go to the gym. Now, if you know what C4 is, it's a pre-workout drink that gets you absolutely wired, and I don't need it because all I have to do is listen slash watch that clip and Jim Nance's electric voice and the roar after that putt from Tiger, and I'm done. I'm good. I'm rolling on the stationary bike. I'm rolling on the elliptical. I'm rolling on the treadmill. Yeah, I'm kind of a cardio guy, I'll be honest with you guys. Kind of gave up the whole lifting thing, like, two years ago. I'm not going to be powerlifting anytime soon. I'm like 5'9", a buck 55, so that dream is dead. But oh my god, and I'm sure all of you out there are still saying that. Like, what happened on Sunday night? Now, let's get into some of the reactions across the sporting world. And we'll start with Mr. Jim Nance. Now, he told the Washington Post that this was the best event he has ever covered. Okay, we're talking about Jim Nance, one of the top-tier play-by-play broadcasters in America. 34 Final Fours, covered. Multiple Super Bowls, covered. Peyton Manning's farewell in Super Bowl 50, covered also broadcasted Woods' 1997 Masters win, which had big-time societal effects. But no. Tigers' win in 2019 was the best event Jim Nance has ever covered. That speaks volumes. A, because of Jim Nance's experience, as I just kind of went through there. But B... We're talking about a guy who has made the ultimate comeback. And Jim Nance, in a way, is saying that we really should savor this victory for Tiger. Maybe because it won't happen again. I don't believe that. But if it doesn't happen again, and by it I mean a major championship win, that Masters win is something that we will hold on to for quite some time now, You want to talk about the greatest of all time. How about Michael Jordan? Now, I'm not going to get into the whole Jordan-LeBron-James debate because here is my stance on that. How about we wait until LeBron is done, and then we can evaluate that debate? Same argument with Tiger and Jack. Let's wait until Tiger is done, guys. Like, Why do we have to go ahead and say that Tiger is the greatest golfer of all time? You can have your opinions on it, sure, but why don't we just wait and then evaluate after Tiger's career is over, which hopefully will be a very long time from now. But you look at this victory for Tiger, like I said, Michael Jordan, he said it was the greatest comeback of all time. Wow. Michael Jordan, multiple NBA championships, MVPs up the wazoo. Even he said that Tiger Woods's win at the Masters was the greatest comeback of all time. Now I talked about it on the previous podcast, my quick ten-minute show with my instant reactions. That yeah, there were some other big-time events. That early '90s wild-card game with the Buffalo Bills. You know, the ALCS in 2004, the Red Sox coming back, beating the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure Michael Jordan thought about those events as well when he finally said, no, this is the biggest comeback I have ever seen. So in summary, I think in a way, this is a full circle moment for Tiger Woods. He won his first major in the late 90s, amid racism in the game of golf. Very true. His win, like I said, electrified the societal landscape, if you will, in the game of golf. And then you tack on 13 additional majors after that win. Then came the scandal. Then came the injuries, the back surgeries, You know, the ACL, the Achilles, all of that. And then the 2019 Masters came around. And if it is his final major championship win, I think Tiger Woods fans would be satisfied. I guess I would be satisfied. But of course, we're all hungry for more. Like I said, this is Pro-19 Majors on this very program, so we're gunning for Woods to get the slam in 2019 and then carry that momentum into 2020 at Augusta, but if this is his last major win, it almost feels right, and there's a reason for that. Now, you guys have probably seen the pictures on the internet, on social media, of Tiger Woods hugging his dad, Earl, after that 1997 Masters win, and then Tiger Woods hugging his kids, his girlfriend, after... The 2019 Masters win. So you're seeing that storybook ending on the right, and you see that beginning on the left there, and it almost just makes sense. And in a way, it does. But still, we're not completely satisfied. I'd be content, but we're going for more. So, in a sense, yes, this could be the perfect bow to Tiger Woods' career in terms of major championships. But that doesn't mean it will be. All right, now, an interesting story here. You guys probably have heard about this. In fact, I guarantee you have. This guy who placed an $85,000 bet on Tiger Woods winning the Masters ends up winning $1.5 million. (laughs) And, of course, knowing the media out there, they do their journalistic work. They look up this guy, who is he, what's his past, and it certainly seems like he's not exactly a model citizen, folks. A USA Today investigation found that he has a long record of domestic violence allegations. When USA Today asked him about this, especially a 2017 incident, this guy named James Aduchi responded, oh, it's 2019. I'm not going to talk about what happened in 2017. So not exactly a firm denial, if you will, about that. So he really seems like a peach in summary. I say that sarcastically. So we'll quickly let this story run its course and then move along because I think this guy's quick 15 minutes of fame is about to come to a close, so we'll move along quickly after that, but just so you know, this guy, not exactly a hero. All right, now, I hate talking about politics, but this is a story about Tiger Woods, so here we go. President Trump going to award Tiger the Medal of Freedom, so the commander-in-chief tweeted, Spoke to Tiger Woods to congratulate him on the great victory he had in yesterday's Masters, and to inform him that because of his incredible success and comeback in sports, golf in parentheses, and more importantly, life, I will be presenting him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Now, Trump and Woods are somewhat close since Tiger is building a course, at Trump World Golf Club in Dubai, set to open this season in 2019. But it's also very interesting because an active golfer has never received this honor. Arnold Palmer got one, Jack Nicklaus got one, but they weren't active golfers at the time. So, interesting story in that regard. But yeah, so there you go. Maybe I'll be a contributor on Fox News or CNN at some point to talk about this story. Stay tuned on that. All right, so one thing I want to get into here is this whole notion that Tiger is back. And I want to say, first of all, that this phrase, Tiger is back, is one of the more cringeworthy things I can possibly hear. Because the problem is, the main problem, that is, Everyone has this varying degree of what back even means. Like, what does that even mean? I don't get it. Can we define that, please? Does back mean Tiger of 2000? Does back mean Tiger of 2013 when he won a couple of tournaments, the Players' Championship and the Player of the Year? Like, where are we going with this? I mean, Tiger won the tour championship last September. He wasn't back. He finished inside the top 10 at Carnoustie and Bell Reeve, the British Open and the PGA Championship last year. He wasn't back after those events? If you're saying Tiger is back now, I just don't think you've been paying attention because it almost lends you to believe that these people are saying he just popped out of nowhere and won the Masters. I mean, he was trending in the right direction this entire time. I talked about it. couple of top tens in majors last year. Winning the Tour Championship. Contending in some other events in 2018 as well. The Valspar Championship, for example. The Honda Classic. So it's like, well, no. I mean, Tiger was contending. He was trending in the right direction. Why are we all of a sudden saying, Oh, now... Tiger is back. And for a few reasons. A, like I said, what the hell does that even mean? B, I honestly think Tiger just laughs at that prospect because he probably doesn't even know what people are saying when people say Tiger is back. Now, in the sense of the effect on golf, I think I could understand that a little more. You look at the Stock trends out there with club manufacturers, they're going up. You look at Nike Golf's sales right now, they're going up. So in terms of a business aspect and in terms of interest in the game of golf, sure, Tiger can be back in that regard, but in terms of his play on the golf course, well, I mean, like I said, he's been right there multiple times within the last year. So I guess until we have some sort of universal definition of back, which will literally never happen, we'll be saying Tiger's back every time he finishes in the top 10 or wins the Memorial Tournament or wins the Masters again, etc., etc. I think the problem is we're going to continue to say this phrase with no real meaning to it. It's almost an empty word empty phrase. You know what I mean? So not a big fan of it. Tiger is contending continuously. He will never be the 2000 Tiger Woods. We know that. But this version right now is just right. His iron game is on point. His driver is getting better. His short game is immensely improved from years past. And his putter, albeit can be fickle, can turn on when he wants it to turn on. In fact, he's pretty good from outside of 20 feet, by the way. So let's all just sit back and enjoy the greatness before us rather than kind of throwing out this empty suit of a phrase that really has no meaning to it. Now, I talked about it earlier in the podcast, The Tiger versus Jack argument. It's been revived. And Jack actually went on record to say that he's shaking in his boots right now about his 18 major championships. That says something, by the way, that maybe Tiger Woods can get this done. But why, you know, have this huge discussion about it when the answer is pretty simple. Can Tiger catch Jack Nicholas? Yes. Moving on. Let's talk about the Grand Slam because it is mathematically in play. And here's why there's a shot. We've got the PGA Championship next month at Bethpage Black. He won the 2002 U.S. Open at Bethpage. He finished four shots off the pace at the 2009 U.S. Open, where Lucas Glover won, by the way. want to talk about a one-hit wonder? My gracious. That entire major championship season was chock full of one-hit wonders. Lucas Glover, Stuart Sink, and Y.E. Yang winning the PGA Championship. I don't even know what has happened to Y.E. Yang. Stuart Sink has shown some flashes. Lucas Glover is actually a solid golfer, statistically speaking, but he's not really a major champion in the sense that he contends at every single one, and he's always there on top of the leaderboards. But I digress. Beth Page, a place that Tiger can win at. The U.S. Open, of course, is at Pebble Beach, a location where we all know he won a U.S. Open at by 15 shots. Are you kidding me? All right, so reason for optimism there with the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open. How about the British Open? It's at Royal Portrush. No history here because the venue hasn't hosted the Open since 1951. But you look at Tiger's history at the British Open in recent years, pretty darn good. He has three top 10 finishes in his last five Open Championship starts. So that's pretty solid. In theory... The Open sets up the best for Tiger. He can put the driver in the bag. He can hit a three-iron, four-iron off the tee and then plod his way along the golf course, kind of like how he navigated Augusta National in 2019. So could it happen? Of course. Talking about the Grand Slam here in 2019. Here is the main issue, and it's not Tiger, actually. The main issue is the competition in the game of golf. When Tiger had his slam in the early 2000s, he was really only competing against Phil, Ernie, and Vijay. Phil Mickelson, Vijay Singh, Ernie Els. That was really it. Maybe Davis Love III. Now, these golfers, for a lack of a better phrase, are athletes. Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, Xander Shoffley. The competition now is much harder this year than it was in 2000 and 2001. The game of golf has grown in that regard. The game of golf has changed in terms of what the prototypical golfer looks like. Now, Tiger Woods actually, ironically, is to blame for that in a way, right? You think about Tiger Woods changing the game, his athletic build way back when. He still has it now, but I mean, his power off the tee in the early 2000s was something that no other golfer has really seen. So the athleticism in the game of golf today can kind of be attributed to Tiger Woods. So interesting there. We'll see what happens. Like I said, reason for optimism going forward with Tiger and the Grand Slam. Not going to say it's going to happen, but something to hang your hat on there. All right, let's get to my interview now with Brooke Cromer, host of Believe in Replay here on the Believe Podcast Network. Like I mentioned, she has a big-time football family, has moved around across the country from NFL team to NFL team. She was there for the Saints' Super Bowl victory over the Colts. A lot of fun stories in her brain. Let's go to Brooke Cromer's interview right now. Brooke Cromer, what is going on? Thanks so much for coming on the podcast here. And Brooke, before we even get into the normal questions here, I got to ask you, what the hell happened to your car coming home from Coachella? I need to hear this.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, thank you first for having me on your podcast. This is awesome. Um, Yeah. So I get to Coachella, finally in the desert after all of the traffic. And I park my car, go to turn it back on later to go get food. And the steering wheel is just completely locked. Battery's just dead. No idea how. So get a tow truck, everything, the whole nine yards. And of course I call them on a Sunday and all places are closed to do service on cars. So I was just, Basically screwed sitting there. And I was like, whatever. I'm just going to go to the concert and forget about this because it's Coachella. We are in a desert. Who cares? We'll worry about a car later and how to get back home. Like, that's so just like minor details, you know? So anyways, finally get back home. Like, and then, oh, it, it just got worse. Like, finally, my car gets fixed. It took like 10 hours because what there's rains, so many pours, things wrong right? with it. Right? So then I put in my address. come home it brings me to like Anaheim and for some reason I just wasn't thinking like oh I haven't seen LA yet I'm like oh I'm turning on south, like whatever my street is like this will be it I'm like no this isn't this isn't my street what am I doing put in my phone and I'm still two hours away from my house I was like are you kidding like I don't know how this happened I was just like not even thinking so like my mind was such a mess from everything that had already happened with my car." that I was just trying to get home. It was just one thing after another, you know.
0: (laughs) Well in terms of the experience at Coachella, of course it was fun, right?
1: Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. It was it was so interesting to just be out there and everyone like everyone's just like happy and just in the desert like no worries in the world like no like nothing else in the world is going on other than of course when tiger woods won everything went insane insanity absolutely oh my gosh yes that was like the only other thing that happened in the world other than coachella when you were in that desert it was insane
0: but such a good experience coachella is like a four-day festival right
1: it was three days three days it's a lot
0: (laughs) and it's just a lot of boozing and standing in the sun and going nuts right
1: exactly yeah. yeah i don't think we went out every day until like four o'clock the concert starts at like noon but right. we were like we're not gonna deal with the desert heat all day so we went out at like four o'clock sunsets at like what six something so it was like right. it was fine but the musical acts were incredible um a lot of people i didn't expect to love it was just like you love them for like the energy that's going on there and you look in the background and the sun setting over the desert like mountains. Right. You're just like, what? Like what is going on right now? Like, it was just like being in another world.
0: Well, one of my friends from Nashville, New Hampshire, was there. And this is her second year going. Shout out to Paige Beliveau. And every single day of Coachella, she posted on Instagram. Plenty of Instagram moments out there. I'm sure you can agree with that. Oh,
1: of course. Yeah, you got to get the pics. you got to toss
0: it up. Absolutely. Stay yeah, on brand. Yeah, so for sure. So, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned earlier, Brooke is the host of Believe in Replay on this very network, and you know what? I appreciate that title, Brooke, because on this podcast, I like to get nostalgic, and as somebody who peaked in 2013, I certainly can uh, appreciate bringing it back, so I love that title, and it almost reminded me that you should probably make the theme song to your podcast, that replay song uh how does it go from like 2009 it was oh my like gosh is one that
1: like one. You know or something <laughs> yeah
0: yes that should be your theme song just saying. that's
1: beautiful oh my gosh I love it so great ponder, ideas
0: ponder that I'll let you sit on that um Definitely. I've been sitting on this win for Tiger Woods for quite some time here in terms of the Masters, Brooke, and. Um, I'm not really sure if I am living right now or if I'm dreaming or if I'm unconscious. I'm still trying to digest the fact that Tiger Woods now has his 15th major. I'll toss it to you in terms of what your initial reactions were to Tiger capturing the win.
1: Oh, I was just, I mean, as many have said it, I mean, biggest comeback ever. This is incredible. Like, not, this is his first title since 2008. Right. I mean, 2008. I was what in seventh grade. Like, this is just—I mean, I was mind blown. I didn't. Speaking I didn't,
0: of nostalgic,
1: <laughs> right? I mean, I don't even know if I ever expected him to come back to being how he was. Like, I don't know. I wasn't very big into golf, obviously, in seventh grade. Right. wasn't watching his every play. But now, just knowing what what everything he's gone through, and to come back from back surgery alone is insane I mean to even play golf again after back surgery that's insane the way that you have to literally twist your back to play that's like one of the major movements in golf (laughs) like what are we talking here so I was I was blown away it's insane
0: the golf swing in theory is not even a normal human movement like you're not supposed to do it like if you ask a doctor they're like don't do that it's bad for your back and like you said Back surgery after back surgery after back surgery and this guy winning the Masters and Michael Jordan, perhaps the goat of basketball, saying that that was the greatest comeback he has ever seen. That came out today. So it's so interesting to see this. You know, you look at Tiger Woods' history, as you said, going back to 2008 was his last major championship win at the US Open. And I think the number one song, Brooke, was probably like Candy Shop. My 50 cent, you know what I mean? Like wearing cargo shorts and K-Swiss shoes and Hollerster shirts. Oh, my God. So We're, we're throwing really, it way back. Absolutely. Uh, I hated middle school, by the way. It sucked. But it sucked it for everybody rough. pretty much. That's uh, true. It was rough. You know, Brooke, you look at this win for Tiger, and one of my big takeaway points was that it was almost a story of battling back from adversity and really capturing something that a lot of people did not expect a lot of people wrote him off for winning another major would you say that's a good characterization of that win is just you know battling back from all of the bad moments that he has faced and winning a big title
1: oh yeah yeah I mean I would definitely say adversity if you can if you can overcome adversity as an athlete that is basically the biggest thing you can overcome in your career that in my mind like that is just such a huge step for an athlete's career. And yeah, I that is that is honestly the word I would definitely use. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, what just what an incredible what an incredible comeback. I can't, mm. I can't get over it.
0: It's hard to put into words. It's my career folks to speak and I really can't elaborate much on it because it is exactly. just so unbelievable.
1: I know, so, I'm literally stuttering on my words here because I'm just like it there's honestly not much you can say other than what Michael Jordan the goat himself said it's the best comeback in in history
0: so let's talk about your golf experience if any here Brooke where are we talking (laughs) top golf mini golf did you play d1 golf I don't even know
1: oh definitely not d1 golf (laughs) um of course my parents forced me into golf lessons when I was younger my dad is a football coach so he was trying to get my brother and I to play anything other than contact sports. He was like, Oh, golf, go out there, you know, swing a club, get a scholarship. Like he was forcing it on us. So of course when you're little, anything, your parents force on you, you're like, Nope, not doing so quit golf when I was younger. But then of course in college, I pick it up again. And it is like my like second love to football. Like I just, I love playing golf, but now living in California, you know, that comes a little scarce because how many affordable golf, <laughs> golf, um, what am I trying to say? Of course. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, out here. So
0: Yeah, it's a dent to the old wallet out there in Los Angeles for really anything. If you're buying a steak or a piece of chicken, for crying out loud, it's expensive. Right? So you went to Texas A&M, Brooke, and I got to ask you, how were the football games, if you happen to remember any of them?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I was actually working them all, so I remember okay. them a little too well. Um, But they are Kyle field is the most incredible place to see a college football game. And I might be a little biased saying that, but you, I mean, any college football fan just has to go just to experience that the fans are insane and we don't have cheerleaders. We have yell leaders. Mm. And their job is to get the whole entire stadium saying the same chant all at once. And to be, I mean, I would, I was on the field for each game and to be on the field and have everybody around you surrounding you, it was 104,000 people surrounding you saying the exact same thing. I mean, you could hear it literally probably miles away. Like it was, it was so crazy. And then we do the, um, our war hymn, which is our fight song. And at the end of the war hymn, they solve RC's horns off and the whole, um, the whole stadium swaying back and forth. And one time I went up to the uh, athletic director suite for that part of the song, and there are little there are little post-it notes all over the suite that says if you get motion sickness you have to go downstairs you can't stay up here because no literally shit. all of a sudden the whole thing just starts like it feels like an earthquake you are wow. literally moving the stadium it is it's the most insane experience of anybody's lives you have to go definitely have to go
0: so I was down in Dallas for a good year and really got a good taste of college football, being around TCU and all these schools here. But, you know, in terms of fandom, I think Texas A&M is number one in that state. Like beating out Texas for sure. I think UT is very wine and cheese, la da kind of crowd. You know what I mean? And then TCU is TCU. But A&M, I mean, College Station, you hear College Station and I think rowdy. You know what I mean? You just became my best friend. Oh, this there we is, go.
1: This is what I'm talking about. Breaking
0: news,
1: folks. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Gotta kiss up to your guest 101 coming up.
1: <laughs> Especially an Aggie. We but love our Aggies. But it's true, though, Aggies. right? Oh yeah, definitely. They 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 have it figured out on game day. That is it, that is for sure. Yes. And the yell, the midnight yells the night before. Yeah. Literally at midnight, they come to the stadium and practice all the yells. Now me. I had to be up at 5 a.m. for the games. I live eight houses down from that stadium, and it would literally rumble my house, so I wouldn't be able to sleep the night before the games. But, I mean, as an Aggie, you have to love it. You have to accept it and love it. But, gosh, that would would get me sometimes.
0: (laughs) Certainly a unique atmosphere. And, obviously, you have a unique story here, Brooke, growing up in an NFL family. You mentioned your dad, of course, the run game coordinator at the Rams as we stand. And let me just ask you, Growing up, were you constantly moving? Like, I feel like you lived a Disney Channel original movie, you know, just traveling (laughs) around the country with your dad as you go from teen to teen.
1: That's exactly right. Yep. It was about every three years of my life, we were picking up and moving. So we basically treated every, we treated it as a stay. We didn't call it that we were living there. We said that we were staying there. And we treated it kind of as, vacation like we would go and do all the touristy stuff like when we lived in New Orleans of course you're going to do the French Quarter and of course we were too young for Bourbon Street but we had to walk it and see it and like all of that just like you would really just dive into the culture of every place you lived which I thought was really cool because now I feel like I know America like I know all the corners like I've been to almost every state so I've lived in pretty much a fifth of them so it's been insane it's been pretty crazy
0: So you're in LA right now. How has the experience been You know, working with the Rams? Of course, you've done some interviews, you have your own YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Of course, you have very high aspirations as a sports media personality, just like yours truly. So of course I have a lot of interest in this. So feel free to kind of divulge into your goals and all that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, living in LA is definitely, I mean, there's so much opportunity out here. Like you just, you walk around and you meet people that you you wouldn't expect to meet just walking down the street like a producer for nfl network or you just you literally never know so i mean honestly you really have to be on your a game at all times out here like i mean just going to the airport and you meet like five people that could help you in your career someday but it's it's such a blessing i mean to be able i my first year that i lived here i worked at fox sports and that was very eye-opening and of course work working on the fox studios lot was like the coolest thing you have access to all the studios and all that. So you could just go see where they're recording, like right. how I met your mother and all of those. And then um, my next year I, l- I worked at NFL network, which is an incredible, I mean, for me growing up in the NFL, like that was my goal. That was my dream was to work at NFL network. So of course the day I signed my little, my contract, I had my whole like signing day <laughs> picture. Posted Developing story. story. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was a big deal for me, but, um, yeah, it's the opportunity out here in LA is definitely the biggest thing and, uh, being around people that really are motivated, just like you and everybody that wants to be in this, um, industry it's, it's inspiring. And it honestly makes you hustle more because you see the people next to you hustle and you're like, Holy crap. Like <laughs> I got to get on my stuff here, you know, right. but it's amazing. It's such a fun experience. It really is.
0: So I've been to LA a few times for a couple of different projects here and there, and you want to talk about a classic LA story. So of course, <laughs> my loser-ness, if you will, uh, was wearing a suit and tie. In Los Angeles, by the way, folks, if you have not been to LA, if you wear a suit and tie, you're probably going to get laughed at, at least internally. <laughs> laughed at. And so I walk into a Chipotle, brook wearing a suit and tie, and I can hear like, a group of people to my left just literally whispered to themselves, "Oh my God, who is that?" And now you know me. <laughs> my ego is just like, "Oh yeah, totally." So I was like almost going to give them my LinkedIn profile or something, get some. <laughs> but I mean, like that's how it is, right? Because you just have like random celebrities. I'm not a celebrity, obviously, but like those kind of people just walking around,
1: right? Everywhere. Yeah, you go to you go to dinner anywhere, and you're like sitting next to some movie star, or some singer, or whatever. But I mean, growing up in the football world, I, I didn't even know celebrities existed, to be honest. It was it was pretty um, – a big eye-opening thing when I moved to L.A., how big of a deal these people are. Sure. Like I mean, I was just so naive growing up. Like, I, I don't know. I must have lived under a rock because literally all I knew was football. So, I thought that, like – I mean, everyone thinks these football guys are, like, huge, big stars. I just think they're my brothers, and they pick on me, and they're mean sometimes. But um, – the like just to see this how big of an influence these movie stars and everything are out here. It's it's pretty crazy. It's kind of a weird situation. It really is.
0: Well, I gotta ask you, when you first went to LA, did you like almost and maybe you still do, have your head on a swivel, like always looking around, seeing who you could meet, kind of thing? Honestly.
1: I I tell my friends to do it for me because I don't recognize anyone. I'm honestly the worst. They'll be like, "Oh, that's so and so," and I'll be like, "Uh, what movie was he in?" Like, (laughs) should I know him? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. My friends my friends have me on on point. They keep me updated with who's who's around.
0: So with the L.A. Rams, of course, they were just in the Super Bowl. Tough ending to the season, obviously, but a lot of reason for optimism here with this team. What's the feeling around the locker room as we stand as we head into 2019? Of course, we have the schedule for L.A. They take on my Baltimore Ravens, by the way, on a Monday night football game, which I am very excited about. What are your thoughts here on the team?
1: Honestly, you know, if you would have told us two years ago that we were going to take that team who, I mean, I'm not going to say this meanly but they weren't they weren't great to take that team to the Super Bowl and even put up a fight against the Patriots right like like no I wouldn't have believed you for a second like that was incredible so just honestly there's so much optimism in this in this locker room and these guys are hungry like they they want it more than ever now like they know what it's like to taste the Super Bowl. Now they want to win it and they want to celebrate for a year and they want to bring a championship back to LA. I can tell you that much. They're they're full in. They're in it.
0: What a story it would be, Brooke, if they go back to the Super Bowl, take on the Patriots and beat them in a similar type of game. Low scoring, defensive battle, maybe. It would be like the perfect bow to a present. You know what I mean? Just like, boom, you get that Super Bowl and uh, you move along there. I think it'd be a storybook ending, maybe not ending, but Maybe something interesting to kind of think about.
1: Hey, I'm in. I am down. Let's go to Miami and let's win a Super Bowl. There you <laughs> that's go. Actually, that's actually where my dad won his last Super Bowl. He was uh, coaching with the Saints. And we won it in Miami. So I told him, I was like, what? how crazy would it be to go back to the same place that we won last time and win another one there? Like That would be like our city. Like we would, might as well just name it the Cromer Town. Let's go.
0: <laughs> Shades of Tracy Porter and all of that. Oh man, I still watch that highlight just because it's unbelievable. Because that was the moment, and Zach Strief talked about it too when the Saints knew they won the Super Bowl after Tracy yeah. Porter picked that ball off.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was honestly we were we were down in the tunnel waiting to run out onto the field, but right. it was like. Is Peyton Manning going to throw – like, the Colts families were all right across the tunnel. Like, they were all down there, too, thinking they were going to run out on the field. So it was literally like, is Peyton Manning going to throw a touchdown? No. He throws the interception. All of a sudden, we're running out on the field. Like, thank God. Like, it was – Gosh, that was, that was one of the best moments of my life. Honestly, it was incredible.
0: Well, I certainly can sympathize with Peyton Manning there as a former intramural quarterback, B-League, at the University of Maryland. I was pretty darn good, but I was a gunslinger, Brooke. In fact, I should probably send the tape to your dad. Would love his thoughts on it. But my first throw was an interception. My last throw of my B-League intramural career was an interception. So I'm basically Brett Favre. Oh, I
1: love it. That's great.
0: Brutal, absolutely brutal. <laughs> So any interesting stories that you have for me here that you can divulge on the podcast of, you know, moving around and meeting somebody interesting or kind of a just cool, spontaneous story that you have?
1: Hmm, just moving around. You know, I don't really, I don't really know. Um,
0: of course, Tracy Porter picking that ball off. That's pretty spontaneous.
1: Right, right. There's been, gosh, there's been so many, so many crazy things in my life. I mean, we when we entered the we as in my family so my dad got his first coaching job at the Raiders and it's Al Davis so we are entering the NFL thinking that this is how all teams are run like crazy Al Davis he was like get out of the hallways when we're walking through and like wouldn't allow us in facilities and all that and then um then we go to the Bucks and it's like all family. Like John Gruden is just like, nah, we want families around. My brother's like, I think 10 years old, helping out at training camps. Like it was just, it was all family. So that's when we knew, like, yes, the NFL is for us. Then we go to the Saints, win the Super Bowl, go to the Bears, you know, have a couple rough years. That was a little, you know, Jay Cutler time. Mm-hmm. Then um <laughs>
0: speaking of gunslingers, by the way.
1: Yeah, right. Oh gosh. Then we go to Buffalo Bills with the Ryans. Now that was fun. Rex and Rob are, they're a treat. They honestly were so fun to have around. They are, they're comedians. Then we go out to, now we're in LA. I mean, literally, you can't beat this. We are in the sunshine. Like my dad, first day he gets here, he's like, I'm buying a convertible. So we're just riding his PCH down, like down the PCH in a convertible, like living our best lives, going to the Super Bowl. I mean, you can't beat this. You literally can't beat this life.
0: It's you have literally, I think, endured every single possible climate in the continental United States. Yes. I'm starting to I put definitely that together.
1: Have. I definitely, definitely have.
0: <laughs> and I would assume that LA is your favorite to this point.
1: You know, it's, it's pretty great. Climate wise, LA is definitely the place to be, but people wise, I would say new Orleans is where it's at. Those people are like shirt off their back type of people. Like, that's fair. It was that's just walking to any house there and they're like pouring jambalaya in your bowl, like asking you what, you, what they can get you, like how, how many parties, more parties they can throw for you. Like it is just itself so on there, but to live here now at this age, that's a pretty good time.
0: So I went to Nashville a couple of months ago for this combo bachelor, bachelorette uh, getaway, if you will. And Nashville is great. I don't know if you've been there, but uh, great time. You go down Broadway. Oh, yeah. And plenty of awesome bars. But one of our Uber drivers said, Yeah, Nashville may be fun, but if you go to New Orleans, it's like a whole nother game. Like just going <laughs> out Bourbon Street like you talked about, is it really that insane? You know, going out, doing the bar experience. I don't know if you've gone through that, but I'm Yeah, enjoying-
1: you know, I was I was pretty young when I was living there. I wasn't able to drink yet, but uh it was it was definitely a fun time. I went out to any of the bars that I could go with my fr- with my family and friends and stuff, just to go, you know, be in the atmosphere and stuff. And it was it was eye opening at a young age. It definitely was.
0: <laughs> well, closing time is what, like six a.m. there or something like that. Oh
1: yeah, I'm sure. I definitely never made it out past past then, but yeah, I'm yeah. sure it was. I'm sure it was pretty late. I'm pretty sure a couple of times when we would wake up in our hotels down there, we would still hear people partying outside. But yeah, it's a pretty crazy town. I would definitely definitely suggest going though. It's definitely a good time.
0: If I go, pray for my liver. All of you that are listening right now, <laughs> don't put that in mind. Yes. Brooke, let's talk about the podcast coming down the pipeline here. What are some guests that we should be expecting?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm about to get um Ryan Switzer on there today Ooh. with the Steelers. I think that he's gonna have a pretty good year. Um, you know, with A V leaving and all. Maybe he'll get some more touches and We'll see a little Ryan in the um, out there in the end zone. But um, I'm trying to keep it, you know, with, like, guys that I've really grown up around. So mm-hmm. you can look back on the teams that my dad's coached for, and basically any of those players are fair game. I'm going to get some some pretty cool people on. I would definitely, definitely stay tuned.
0: We're talking about a big sample size, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. So do yes. not miss it. Subscribe, believe, and replay Brooke Cromer coming on the Tiger Woods podcast. Hit her up. On Twitter and the gram, at Brooke Cromer. Brooke, appreciate the time. Best of luck with the podcast. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having
1: me, and good luck with your podcast, and go, Tiger Woods. This is incredible.
0: I forgot the question that I have to ask you. All right, so here it comes. You meet Tiger Woods at a bar. You have one question to ask. What is that question, Brooke?
1: Hmm. Honestly, no. I would say if, if you could go back, would you change anything at all? Hmm. Because honestly, if you think about it, like he said it himself, he's become a better man. He found out who his real friends are. Now he gets to enjoy an even bigger accomplishment than just winning the Masters. He won the Masters and overcame all of this, like the scandals, the surgeries. Now he's literally the biggest comeback in history. Like, I mean, really, would you change anything?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to end this interview with a very deep and profound question, Brooke. I appreciate that. <laughs> very nice. All right, you got it. So much you for coming. It. On. Thank you. All right, big shout out once again to Brooke Cromer for coming on the podcast. That's going to do it for me, folks. Episode three in the books. We move along to episode number four. Some fun guests coming down the pipeline. I'm going to watch that clip of Tiger Woods winning the freaking Masters one more time. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do some bike sprints. And that is going to be a complete workout. Let me tell you. Cam Rogers signing off for the Tiger Woods podcast. Talk to you guys very soon. Go Tiger.